Good evening and welcome back to another episode of Please Call Me Crazy brought to you by Free People Radio and now powered by our favorite sponsor, TireGit.com. That's TireGit.com. You all have to buy tires from somebody. You might as well buy them from us and help fund the movement, help support the movement. We believe in the freedom of movement, and that's exactly what the establishment wants to take from you now. I am your host, Royce White, here in the belly of the beast, Minneapolis, Minnesota, for episode number 82. The date is August 9th, year of our Lord, 2023. Happy to be back once again. Thank you for everybody who tuned in last night. A little bit of housekeeping, just a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, Make sure to tune in to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I hope you did last night as well. I know I saw a lot of people commenting, say that they came to please call me crazy from from yesterday's episode with with uh, with Jason and Fearless. Um, So go go subscribe to uh, Fearless with Jason Whitlock. Uh, If you haven't already, please go subscribe to the great Professor Penn's podcast that airs on Tuesdays and Thursdays under normal circumstances and be prepared for our eventual or necessary jump to Royce White USA, uh, the YouTube channel at at Royce White USA. Um, We got big announcement coming up in the next two weeks. Big three is this weekend on Sunday. Game time start is, I believe, uh, let me double check. Game time start is 1 p.m. Eastern. The game started 12 p.m. Eastern, but we – we start at 1 p.m. Eastern playing the triplets for in a, in a winner go home situation. Uh, so that should be fun. The Hebrews podcast is coming. The Last Renaissance podcast is coming. Hebrews, myself, Professor Penn, The Last Renaissance, myself, and AJ Barker. Those are on the way. We'll give you more uh, updates on that as those unfold. It should be within the next uh, two to three weeks. Uh, trying to hit the ground rolling as soon as the big three is is uh, concluded. Uh, we're getting those podcasts up and out. I'm sure you guys will like the dynamic between myself and Professor Penn in the studio uh, in, in, a, in a more, uh, I don't want to say more casual conversation, but just more relaxed environment. You know, when we interview each other at the at the big table there at the White House, you guys don't know about the White House yet, but the White House is another podcast that we got coming in the future, more of a round table out here where I do my in-person interviews that you've seen on Please Call Me Crazy. But when we do interviews like that, it's uh, traditionally just the, the setting itself is more serious. We got this real Dr. Strange love uh, beam uh, light, light, lighting type of deal. And it's just it's just, you know, it just creates a real serious type of a environment. Um, Hebrews is going to be a little bit more fun. So I'm, I'm excited for you guys and, and I'm, I'm excited myself to get the Hebrews podcast going. I'm sure you're going to love the branding. We got really good branding and, and marketing materials for the Hebrews podcast. So stay tuned to that. Make sure that you go to freepeopleradio.com to keep up with all of these podcasts and more, as well as our patron platforms that should be launching any day now. Um, we got a few screws to, to tighten down when it comes to the websites and, and our digital footprint, SEO, and all of that stuff. But you will be able to become a patron uh, at Locals, uh, Subscribestar, or DonorBox for now. Uh, those will be the patron platforms that allow you to support the podcast and donate, as well as buy merchandise uh, from the Spotify shop when they get up. Spit on the floor t-shirts on the way soon. So much that that and much, much more. And I'm sure, you know, I'm telling you that now, but you'll be able to see a lot of those uh products and pop-ups and things like that when they're when they're ready because uh, we're going to integrate them into the podcast and, and into the YouTube channel and, and Rumble and, and everywhere else. So um, a lot of things coming for you guys where we appreciate um, your following. We appreciate you continuing to uh, tune in, listen to the podcast. We, we especially appreciate everybody with our YouTube audience because we know we're getting censored on YouTube, so it's not easy to find us. It's not easy to to know when the content is is available or when it's uh when it's out, so we we appreciate you going out of your way to go and look for please call me crazy and, and Professor Penn podcast as well. Uh, we've already run into an issue like I told you at the end of yesterday's episode where YouTube took down one of our episodes with very little little explanation uh, because it violated the the health policy or the the. Um, COVID misinformation policy because we criticize the WHO. I think this is a sign of things to come. Um, so 
that being said, we appreciate the YouTube audience. We especially appreciate those who listen to the podcast on any audio platform. We are available on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and Google. So all the major audio platforms, I, I, I recognize that a couple of weeks ago, we ran into some trouble where you could not listen to the audio version of the podcast on a few platforms. That's been rectified and we are back up and all the, po all the podcasts that had been missed are there for you to catch up on and we see that people have been getting caught up on the podcast. So I'm happy to be back in the studio. Um, interesting time we're living in. Interesting time we're living in. I was on, I was on with Jason and Jason and I were talking a little bit uh, yesterday, but, but we also had a conversation today uh, about the prospect of globalism. What is globalism? I mean, we keep coming back to this, and and that's mostly what what this podcast has been about. Although it touches on many other issues, um, the 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 impulse, or the motivation of this podcast is to speak out against the the progression of of globalism. And uh, I told Jason that you know, the propaganda against nationalism is intense it's intense it's profound i mean at every turn they have nationalism walled off as this kind of dirty word and and uh, honestly don't get me wrong don't get me wrong i understand that there are people who claim to be nationalists who have done terrible things i understand that uh, uh many nations but but america as well has has marched around the globe uh, through political corruption economic tyranny military dominance and bullying and, and, and use borders as a means to um, sow division uh, and, and, and take lives and just, you know, terrorize people uh, for lack of a better term. Uh, so I get, I get all of that. That, that does not mean that nationalism uh, by definition is, is a negative thing, is a dirty thing, is a dangerous thing. That's not the case. In fact, as I laid out yesterday in the podcast, I think, or I started to at least, um, to put boundaries around yourself, to, to draw a line on a map in the sand in your mind, to draw a line around yourself and say, this is a perimeter, this is, this is a boundary, this is a perimeter. Beyond this boundary or perimeter, I no longer am confident in my ability to operate. I no longer am I'm confident in my ability to govern. I no longer am confident in my ability to to control or to uh, oversee uh, this this vast of a of an area. There's something very humble and necessary in that. There's something profoundly valuable and meaningful in that. There's something very valuable at an existential level. Boundaries, borders are not just arbitrary lines that are drawn to divide people. And and uh, and protect resources or or uh, covet wealth. Uh, that's certainly how the Marxist uh, propaganda would like us to view it. That's certainly how the globalist agenda would like us to view it. But really, boundaries, uh, borders, are uh, you know uh, a way to place limits on the unfettered ambitions of man. We can't rule the whole world. We can try, many have tried, many have failed, but even in trying to do so, even in having some success, many have failed to effectively govern, to uh, govern with any real sense of, of uh, connectivity, value, meaning, to uh, effectively uh, govern in a way that, that satisfies the needs uh, of the people, uh, any people, uh, certainly we the people here in America, but the expansion of, of, of the government, the expansion of the federal government, the expansion of, of, of this sort of, sort of globalist uh, mentality and, and political structure has and will continue to be the downfall of our society. Because some things are too big. You know, so some things, pause, some things are, are too too far for us to have any real good vision on how to how to deal with them. Um, 
And that is the globalist agenda. That that's that's what they're pushing. And the the impulse of it is to try and be God, right? The impulse of it is to say, no, 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 there's no, there's no amount, there's there's no distance too wide. There's no distance too far that we can't effectively cover and govern and control. I mean, it, it's it's heretical. It's a heresy. It's 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 blasphemous. It's arrogant. You know, it, it's it's naive. In the in the most simplest terms, in the in the least of terms, it's naive. It's naivete. Uh, anybody who has any humility knows uh, a man must know his limits. Mankind must know its limits. Now, their idea is if we can develop technology to a certain level, or if we can sell that we've developed technology to a certain level, then if nothing else, people will believe that we can effectively govern the entire world under one world government. And let me tell you, I don't care how good technology gets, they'll never be able to supersede the nature of man and the nature of and any technological pipe dream, whether it's artificial intelligence or, you know, pick the Internet of Things, this whole fourth industrial revolution, no matter how good the technology gets, if man had his hand in it, then the nature of man will be projected onto it. And we know the nature of man, no matter how consolidated power seems, will still stab each other in the back. Because the very, the very, the very desire to rule the entire world speaks to a lack of humility in your spirit. And if you have that lack of humility in your spirit, there's nothing that suggests you could get together with other people and not try and stab them in the back for your ambitions either. Maybe, you know, maybe it holds up for some time. Maybe you get together and hold hands and kumbaya, we are the world. We can all come together at the table and, and divvy up the, the pot. Yeah, yeah, it'll it'll hold for a while. But eventually, man's nature will will pop up. And so, you know, since World War II, uh, we've we've had that deal in place. That's what Bretton Woods Conference was. That's what the United Nations was. That's what the the World Economic Forum was, the Trilateral Commission, the the Bilderberg Group, and all these other uh, multinational uh, organizations or or secret societies and small rooms with with uh, important men that's what their their the whole thing has been for the better part of the last 80 years is hey, 100 years going back to the league of nations but you could go back to the federal reserve the point is that the la- the better part of the last century has been uh but, but really let, let, let's be clear it was really post-World War II. The post-World War II democratic liberal order uh, instituted by multinational politicians or multinational figureheads, political figureheads such as Henry Kissinger and, and Zygmunt Ubrzynski and, 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 and uh, countless others, really took hold after World War II, the post-World War II democratic liberal order. And this agreement, this sort of agreement that, that science and technology and, and globalism international cooperation uh, by any means, whether it's deterrence or espionage or, or uh, military uh, uh, hypocrisy, whatever the, whatever the means be, as long as we can maintain an order, an international order of democracy and, and liberalism, then we can afford ourselves the time for technology to, to effectively cure the ills of the human condition or human nature man's nature. Effectively, we can, we can have enough peace where technology can eventually get good enough to run the society for us. And, and we hear uh, Nazi, Nazi Schwab, Schwab, Klaus, Nazi, Nazi uh, Klaus of the World Economic Forum speak openly about the stages and advancement of artificial intelligence being, uh, going from, uh, you know, this sort of, uh, rudimentary form to being predictive and then being prescriptive, meaning that artificial intelligence will become good enough to to predict the outcome of elections, let's say, and then it'll become prescriptive where it will tell us what we should 
do. Um, I reject this on a fundamental on a fundamental level. I reject the notion. First off, I reject the the idea that they can do this without great great difficulty. That this system won't be um, incredibly flawed. But I also reject it on on a spiritual basis that that humanity should uh, embrace our flaws in a way that says the only answer or solution is to let the machines do what we can't do morally, that there's a moral gap that the machines must fill. There's a moral gap that technology must fill. I think from a spiritual standpoint, uh, mankind will always have its fingerprints on the technology we produce and we'll, we will project our uh, lack of morality onto the technology. And, you know, all these technocrats, all these futurists, all these computer geeks, all of them will try and tell you that these, first off, they'll tell you that we live in an, on, that human beings live on a non-binary spectrum, but they believe in a technology that's completely binary, which is horrifying. I mean, just on face value, the, the, the cognitive dissonance in that is, is staggering. Again, the human species is a non-binary species, but the technology that we want to give humanity's existence over to just happens to be binary code um, or based on binary code or laid on top of binary code or however you want to explain it. It's a very scary proposition, mostly because they think you're that stupid. But even furthermore, I, I, I would agree. We, we certainly shouldn't give uh, the reins of humanity over to a binary artificial intelligence. And, you know, I know they'll tell you when artificial intelligence becomes sentient, then it won't be binary anymore. It'll have the ability to think in uh, a nuance beyond the human comprehension. Okay. I mean, these are the same people that told you or that will tell you, that continue to tell you that gain-of-function research where we enhance the, the, the mutation or the, the, um, the infectiousness or, or the, the, the uh, lethality or the virality of, of, of viruses is worth the risk. That learning how to modify, learning how to, learning how to uh, manipulate viruses, infectious diseases, is, is worth it, is worth the risk. Now, you couldn't possibly help me. You can, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Dr. Fauci or, or, or you know, you're, you're, you're uh, Dr. Pepper. It doesn't really matter to me. There's nobody that can help me, that can get me, that can convince me that risking the lives of people for the scientific understanding is, is, uh, is humane. And when you get to that level, you sort of see the, the, the spiritual similarities between the military industrial complex and the medical industrial complex. Not that anybody with any sense has ever thought that they were two different entities, but, but they're big. They've gotten big. They've, they both got pretty big sticks on the playground. Some, some players overlap, some players don't, but, but ultimately you can see how the spirit of both both industrial complexes really uh, mirror one another in that both believe that there is some future danger uh, that we must be willing to sacrifice human beings at an industrial level here today. And again, it's you know the sanctity of life is is the the precept of of civil rights and human rights. Without the sanctity of life, there is no legitimate claim for human rights or civil rights. So the, the, the sanctity of life is the beginning of what it means to be a civilization that talks about or, or claims to value liberty, freedom, justice, so on and so forth. And there's nothing about our scientific involvement in, in, in modern day society or there's nothing about our scientific commitments or our scientific ambitions that suggests that human rights and civil rights are actually a priority. Now they will tell idiots in passing that artificial intelligence will make civil rights and human rights much easier because you don't have the fallibility of man. But I mean, who would believe that? Who would believe such a thing? 
of course, of course, man's man's uh, imperfection will will bleed on to any of the technology we create. And so I, I find myself thinking about the food industry a lot right now because obviously, um, you know, we we see reports of meat being cloned, the cloning meat, and they're going to start to put cloned meat in restaurants. And of course, they're not going to tell you if the meat that's in restaurants is cloned. And of course, the policymakers aren't going to make it a, uh, the policymakers aren't going to um, legislate that, that restaurants uh, have to, have to disclose what type of food they use in their in their uh, restaurants or in their drive-throughs or or in their grocery stores even or you know so on and so forth. Whole Foods, you know, going to palm print um, payment or palm print Whole Foods, you know, Amazon Go grocery stores or whatever the case may be. So they're all in on the technology. So they're not going to tell you, you know, what, where, where or what is actually in the food. And then this is nothing new about the food industry. We're just coming to a time where they're going to, you know, they're going to ratchet up. Um, they're going to ratchet up the ambition. They're going to ratchet up the, they're going to ratchet up the propaganda first, and then they're going to ratchet up their ambitions. And we see it. I mean, they're going for it. You say, who are they? What are they going for? We are on our way to a cashless society. A cashless society. I mean, you look at it and go, yeah, that's that's pretty convenient. Uh, Credit cards, palm prints, thumb prints, tongue prints. Uh, A lot of you freak boys out there are going to like the tongue print uh, payment processors. Um, but but eye scanners or whatever other weird uh, dystopian uh, technology they can come up with to to make your life more convenient. Many of you people love it. You love it. You can't wait. Think it's a great idea. Think it's a great thing. But how much are you gaining? I mean, wasn't cash pretty easy? I mean, what was so difficult about cash? I don't get it. I mean, I think cash is cash is pretty easy. Now, I know carrying around a bunch of cash. Take you, minute. What was wrong with the good old-fashioned debit card? Or, you know, you know, in the credit cards, and this is, you know, this is how the devil plays. This is how Satan puts in the Trojan horse. Credit cards themselves, point of point of sale uh, transactions themselves on debit cards and credit cards were the the Trojan horse that will now usher in a cashless society because people were already to give you a layer deeper. What about food stamps and stamps and WIC? Remember good remember food stamps, physical food stamps? Now all of the food stamp money is is uh all of the government aid is on a little a little card, an EBT card. Now, you know, now they're even even more advanced. And I'm not saying black women or or any people who are on welfare around the country knew or nor did they necessarily have a choice in the matter. They certainly didn't have a choice in the way the money was distributed, but I mean they they economically and socially didn't have a choice many of them in in being in a a position to need welfare. And this is where the conservative movement really finds itself in a in a pickle in a in a, in a moral conundrum and in, in a sort of gordian knot. Because the conservative movement or the republican movement in this country likes to talk about itself in this sort of moral, righteous, indignant, Christian manner. But in actuality, we've just been brainwashed. And, you know, people hear that respectfully. And it's Catholics and Protestants, and and the whole whole deal is, is, is confounded now, and people are at each other's throats with, within the Christian faith as much as we are outside of the Christian faith. And, and, and ultimately we end up being the, um, the pincushion of people who have no faith. And that's the, that's the obvious net result. Whether you like it or not, you can admit it or not. And the, the, the proof is sort of in the pudding right now as we look out into American society. So if we go back and we think about the history of America and how everything unfolded, I think it's important to, to, to realize that the post-Enlightenment Europe's effect on Christianity 
was to make it very individual, individualism, humanism. There was a very humanist effect or impact that that post-Enlightenment Europe had on Christianity. And let's be clear, uh, Christianity is not a European religion. Christianity is a is a Middle Eastern religion. Uh, Christianity is a Northeast African religion. Christianity is is an Asian religion. <laughs> as as funny as that may sound, uh, you know, Israel and um, Judah and Nazareth and Bethlehem and all of these places that that are now considered the Holy Land or the the uh, outer outer um, the outer limits of the Holy Land. All of these places are in a dusty corner of Western Asia. And now you say, well, what do you mean by Asia? Asia is a pretty big continent. Russia's Asia, although Russia's its own place. You know, uh, Malaysia is, is, is Asia. Australia is its own place. But, you know, rightfully, you could say that Australia is, is Asia. I mean, you can't say that, but I'm just, I'm being, being funny. The Aussies would, would blow a gasket if you said that. The Aussies, far, far place, far, far ways from the Commonwealth are the Aussies. Uh, way, way down under. Uh, and it just goes to show you that our entire perception of history and geography has been confounded in many ways at many different times by many different geopolitical, cultural, economic uh, circumstances. But where are we today? Well, where we are today is is we look at the effect that, that post-Enlightenment Europe had on Christianity and then its, its emergence as the... the cultural foundation of, of America's founding. And, and we see that the American form of Christianity has all of the markers of post-Enlightenment Europe. Now, what does this mean? It means that Christianity has, has a, a very interesting individual sort of bent to it. And, in, and where it is this individual endeavor, this personalized endeavor, disconnected from the sacraments, disconnected from a, a, a living body, a living church that was the Roman Catholic Church. Um, Christianity, in, in, in my opinion, in the Protestant formulation has become hyper-personalized. It's why you hear a lot of people say, the Lord is, you know, Lord Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior. Well, he's not your personal Lord and Savior. He's the Lord and Savior for all of those who have faith. In, in him uh, and whose glory is pointed towards God. So it's, it's not actually that personal. And, and again, if you go through the Bible, a lot of people like to talk about scripture in, in a very literal sense, which I believe we should do, but they are very a la carte with their literal interpretations of scripture. And that really bothers me. And it really undermines the, the meaning of Christianity and the community of Christians, because there are whole nations that have been condemned. Um, it, Look at Moses, the story of Moses coming out of Egypt in, in the Exodus. Um, <laughs> Christ told Moses to tell the people that they should move forward and go into the new promised land, uh, but it was occupied by giants, but that if they had faith, uh, that they would they would be able to slay these giants in the name of in the name of God in the name of the future that God had planned for them, and and all of them were afraid or many of them were afraid, and God got so angry <laughs> with them for being cowards that He said, "I'm going to drop a plague on these people." Right? I'm I'm not one of these people is going to survive. Uh, we're, we're, we're you know we're going forward without them because they still live with that fear from being slaves and and being captive in in, in Egypt. And then Moses goes to God or Moses speaks with God and says, hey, look, these are your people. If you if you kill them all, you have to admit that you were wrong about them. You can't kill them. The, you know, you're stuck with them, more or less. And then God goes, you're right. You're right. We can't do that. So then God uh, gives them a pass, basically, because many of them wanted to go back to Egypt. And now giving them a pass from the plague or the, coming out of the plague, the people thought that they were um, had favor that the that the, the the wind was at their back that the 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 wind was uh 
was was in the right direction. So then they went forward to fight the giants, and Moses goes, "Wait, no, you don't have you don't have the blessing to go forward and do that anymore. That's not that's that that hasn't been conveyed." And uh, they went forward and and were slaughtered, uh, and and even Moses himself didn't make it into the promised land in the end. Uh, so you know we we see that whole na- my point in telling the story is that we see biblically where whole nations have been condemned for their actions, for their deeds, for their misdeeds, for their wickedness, uh, for the, the 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 misfortunes or the the mis um, the immorality of of certain certain people. Well, the, you know, America is no different, and America has a very very personalized type of Christian dogma. And it just it just dawns on me that this sort of individual personalized dogma aids and abeds the corruption of crony capitalism that has spawned out all across the country. I know many of you don't like that. And look, I'm not criticizing capitalism as an economic framework or an economic system from some leftist Marxist point of view. I think cop- capitalism is probably the best system that we have because it does give the individual a lot of freedom. It does give the individual a lot of mobility. It does give the individual a lot of power to take their life into their own hands economically and, and, and use their creativity, more importantly, their creativity, to build something out of nothing and profit from that and, 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 uh, and reap the value of that, the reward of, of doing that. So it encourages creativity. But crony capitalism is a perversion of this, where actually the creativity is stifled by the monopolization of or or gatekeeping, as Ice Cube would call it, of certain key industries. And it's it's Christianity, particularly 501c3 Christianity, that has really aided and abetted this this form of capitalism. And you ask, well, how? Well, let's just look at the Republicans, the, the Republicans in America today or the Republican Party, or more importantly, the rhinos, the Republican globalists who really are Democrats. Let's look at their platform. Their platform is just as much big business and big government as 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 the Democrats. I mean, they're globalists. And their whole thing is, hey, we just don't want the government regulating our businesses. We want business. We want the corporation to be the head honcho, not the government. Problem being is we get away from fundamental Christianity, which is, you know, things like, am I my brother's keeper? And I know my brother's keeper is a more literal sense about familial bonds, but hey, the point is is that early Christian communities lived in in a sort of commune kind of way. And there's great utility in that. And there's great humility in that. And and it's there's, there's great effectiveness in that. And I'm sure that the boundaries of the borders that were placed around those early Christian communities had that humility in mind. That we can't have an infinite Christian community, right? I mean, we do have an, in, an infinite Christian community through faith in God and through uh, glory and grace, mercy. Yeah, of course. A shared belief system. We have a, a worldwide community in that sense. But your immediate Christian communities immediate meaning the the community that they were active in on a daily basis wasn't infinite. It wasn't global. Only Christ can bring on Christian globalism, a thousand years of Christendom. But that, that's not, that's not our, that's not for us to do. What we can do is live in small, close knit Christian communities where we provide people or we help people uh, achieve a level of, of living uh, that allows them to to that that bolsters their faith in God, that bolsters their, their or at least um, influences them to bolster their faith in God as best we can. Now, are there going to be some people who are just Satanists? Are there going to be some people who are just possessed? Are there going to be some people who say, "I don't care how much you give me, how much you do for me, how rich the support is, the the support of Christian faith." I still am going to side with the devil or Satan. That'll happen. But I tend to think we are greatly undershooting the mark of people that we could we could influence 
in a good way to be more Christian. We're, we're, we're undershooting the target by a long shot, by a country mile, a couple country miles, 100 country miles. I don't even know how big. We're, we're undershooting it so bad, we're not even in the ballpark of what we could be doing. And most of it, or a lot of it, is that Christians seem to have, you know, uh, abnegated all of their responsibility in, in, in their communities. It's become this personalized sort of, you know, what is Jesus doing for me? What has Jesus done for me or what is Jesus doing for me? And, and everybody else for themselves. Now, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of Christian charities. There are a lot of Catholic charities. And they do a lot of good work. And that's exactly what they should be doing. My point is that the Republican Party as a political movement seems to try and harbor this, this idea that for communities to, to aid and assist one another is too communist for them. Okay, well, in, in the absence of that good Christian community, uh, the communists have taken over. And the Christians seem to always find an excuse to let the expansion expand. <laughs> uh, we, 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 you know, well, we can't be in charge of all things at all times or, you know, every man for himself or why do we care about the homeless? The homeless have to pick themselves up by the bootstraps or black people or single black mothers or black fathers that aren't in the home or whatever else you want to talk about. I mean, there's a million things that we could list. It's just this sort of grandiosity of the modern average uh, American citizen who claims to be Christian. This, this, this sort of arrogance, this, this, uh, this real lack of humility. And we need to put that shit in check. We need to check that shit at the door. Because in order to pull away, first and foremost, in order to pull away from a globalist system, in order to pull away from a system where the globalists have their have a stronghold on it, we're going to have to provide things for ourselves as Christians, as conservatives, as American citizens and American patriots. We're going to have to form around each other in some in some sense of of, of urgency, uh, crisis really, and and shared values. No better, no better, no better. Uh, no better belief system to rally around than Christianity. But we have to shake this, this response, this rebellion against the leftists and the Marxists and the communists by, by being uh, uh, sort of resistant, resistant to a true sense of community, helping one another out. We have to help one another out to get out of this. And it's not just give a helping hand, a small amount of help. We have to be really committed to organizing our own safeguards of, of uh, community and, and, and societal cooperation. And this sounds exactly what, like what Henry Kissinger and Zygmunt Ubrzynski and all these guys used to, to promote and, and, and propagandize an initiative like the United Nations or, or the, you know, the post-World War II Democratic Liberal Order sounds the same. The question is what the real motive was. Well, we, we, you know, I love when Carl Jung says, uh, you want to know the motive, you can look at the results and go back and infer the motive. Now, I know Carl Jung was, was a sketchy character and may in fact have been a Satanist, an uh, understudy of, uh, of uh, the uh, the 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 twin towers of doom when it comes to anti-Jews, one being Karl Marx, the other one ha having to be uh, Sigmund Sigmund Freud. Um, so you know Carl Jung was a spooky dude, but guys, people people who I don't agree with or don't necessarily uh, like uh, say things all the time that I have to give respect and admiration to, or, or at least acknowledge that they're true. And yeah, I think that's true about motivation. There are a lot of times where you may be wondering what somebody's motivation is, and you can look at the results of their actions or the results of, of, of you know, the fruit from their loins, uh, and, and you can go back and infer the motive. So let's do that with Kissinger, who, you know, when they started the United Nations, everything sounded real good and Christian and and we just want to create a peaceful society, a harmonious society where people can thrive and prosper and, you know, not be afraid of, of big nations with big politics breaking out into war that kills 100 million people. Yeah, that all sounded good on paper. 
But what has the result been? The result has been that America as a nation, as a bastion of freedom all around the world is now an economic crisis because our economic stability was strategically linked to the petrodollar, for example. And see, we don't really understand this listen at home, but I guarantee you they understand. These people were trained in the European intellectual tradition and, and all of these geopolitical uh, strategies and, 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 and ideologies are, are well known. Like, for example, McKinder's World Island Theory, that he who controls the heartland controls Eastern Europe and he who controls, uh, no, he who controls Eastern Europe controls the heartland. He who controls the heartland controls the world island and, and he who controls the world island virtually controls the world. This was McKinder's, uh, Halford John McKinder's um, Eurasian world island theory. Trained in the, I mean, commissioned to do to 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 do this work, uh, and come up with this theory in the in the European intellectual tradition, commissioned by the crown to do to do this work. And so, your Henry Kissingers of the world, for example, your Zygmunt Brzezinski's, these people know the the Mackinder World Island theory. I mean, re remember, Mackinder's World Island theory was published in 1908. This, this has been a, a, a steady part of the European intellectual tradition for some time, especially by the time that, that Henry Kissinger and Zygmunt uh, come around and the post-World War II democratic liberal order really gets, gets kicking. Um, but you have to think, your, think to yourself, ask yourself, why would a young, thriving nation that had just won a significant, one, had just been on the good side of a, an incredible military conflict, why would we tie our, with industrialization and, and, and all of the, uh, the manufacturing that we needed, and technology, technological superiority over our former enemies, so much so that we now would get into a new war with Russia who helped us fight and beat the German war machine. Now we, we, we pointed our, our, our guns at them or they pointed their guns at us. We got a good old Mexican standoff between the Americans and the Russians. Uh, that still exists today, by the way. The great game is a, is a long-term geopolitical conflict between Great Britain, the crown, and Russia going all the way back to the 1800s. Um, so we're still in that, in that whole skirmish right now, obviously. But why would a country that had such, such momentum tie our energy dependency on a place that we can't walk to? You say, well, Royce, what are you talking about? You can't walk to the energy. Well, now, like I said yesterday, we're in an economic and biological war with China, soon to be in a kinetic war. We're already in a kinetic war. We're in a full, 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 full excuse me, full-blown war with China. Gunships, battleships playing chicken in the South China Sea, the war is on. I mean, the shooting just hasn't broke out yet, but we're, we're already at war. And when it comes to China, China has the ability to go anywhere they want on the Eurasian world island. Now, who taught China? Who taught China this, this One Belt, One Road initiative? I mean, One Belt, One Road is just the Chinese version of John McKinder's World Island Theory. It's the same concept. If we can walk to it, if we can walk to the natural resources, then we have the advantage over somebody who has to sail to the natural resources. And that's exactly what McKinder said in, in, his, in his theory. In his theory, he, he made a point, or at that time, he made a point to stress to the British how their naval-based army or military would be obsolete in the near future when the means of ground transportation evolved technologically. And that's where we are now. It's gonna be hard for us to fight for the energy that we need to get from the Saudis with the Chinese running things. It's gonna be hard for us to fight a war, which in some cases, many people believe there won't even be a war. So many people believe that this concession to China and this, this concession that we've lost the energy war already, 
is, has, is not being done by accident. And I tend to agree. I tend to agree. Um, I think that this is being done intentionally. I think that this is being done by people who are completely okay with uh, a, a sort of a Euro, European-centric from an ideological standpoint, which the Marxism and communism that now informs the Chinese Communist Party uh, is, is fruit from the same tree. I think there's a, 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 a political elite in this country that is completely committed to the future being China-centric with a communist or Marxist European intellectual tradition at the center of it. That's my theory. That's what I think. And it explains a lot. It explains why, why Kissinger and all of those political geniuses of the time opened up China as the great new horizon, and we've been working on our China alliance ever since. Um, it explains why right now the government, our political officials, our, our elected officials, are tripling down and quadrupling down on China, which is strange to see. I mean, to be in open tension and conflict with a nation and then to double down, triple down, and sell out to that same nation seems count, you know, it seems a bit, seems a bit contrary to everything that America has, you know, kind of been in recent history. I mean, it is the case that if you cross America on the international stage in any way, we use all of our power, all of our weight politically and economically uh, to, to sort of isolate you. People can't isolate. We, we have a, we're we're going to have a tougher time isolating China anyway because not only are we on the, the take, not only are we on the, on the assembly line, but so are many other nations that get their goods from China. Many nations that become reliant on China. And who showed them how to do it? Who showed them what it meant to be an empire? Don't get me wrong, the Chinese have been an empire before, but China was a, 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 land, of, a land of nothing before we went there in the 60s and 70s. Before Kissinger and, and uh, the, whole, the whole United Nations initiative, Bretton Woods Conference, before they went into China, China was a, a vast nowhere. Not to say there weren't people there, not to say that there weren't people that were human beings and deserve respect and dignity, but from a political standpoint on the global stage, China was a vast nowhere. We taught them how to become what they've become. We taught them how to do what they've done. We taught them where the West was weak. And we actually told ourselves, or at least we told, uh, we, we, we spoke in public, like the Chinese were going to become more American through this collaboration, through this alliance. And the opposite happened. The opposite happened. China, uh, we became more like the Chinese. We became more like the Chinese. And really the Chinese became more like the Marxists and we are the Marxists and all of our academic intellectuals come under the, the, the Marxist curriculum nowadays. But what to do? What to do? Well, how are we going to reclaim our independence? How are we going to reclaim our manufacturing independence? How are we going to reclaim our energy independence? How are we going to reclaim our medical autonomy so that we're not, uh, you know, uh, at the behest of, of international or multinational bodies who are being paid grant money by the CCP? How do we do that in this country? It's a question all patriots must, must, must ask. Parallel economy, right? alternative economy, the patriot economy, as the great John Fredericks likes to call it. All of these things are possible, but they're going to require some real sense of Christian identity, Christian community, American identity, which is Christian identity. Freedom. Freedoms, inalienable rights granted to you by the Creator.
we got to wake up as Christians. We got to be ready to fight. Part of being ready to fight is being ready to sacrifice. And now I don't mean sacrifice your life and go out in a, a, a blaze of glory. What I'm saying is that you have to be willing to sacrifice certain conveniences for freedom, the freedom to have faith. You're going to have to be willing to sacrifice certain things to fight back the momentum of globalism. And I hope we can do that. I hope we can do that. This has been another episode of Please Call Me Crazy brought to you by Free People Radio and powered by our, our great sponsor, TireGig.com. We want to give a special, special thank you to MyBookie.com as well, who is another sponsor. If you gamble, if you like to put money on sports like the Big Three this weekend, feel free to drop over to MyBookie.com, use promo code ROYCE, and enjoy 20% off or, or a number of other advantages, so I'm told. Also, we want to give a special thank you to our other advertiser and partner, GhostBed.com. If you're having trouble sleeping at night, if you you have a mattress that you want to get rid of and get a new mattress, go to GhostBed.com, use promo code ROYCE, and enjoy 20% off of your first purchase at GhostBed. Get yourself a new mattress, GhostBed. It's incredible. They have other um, accessories and things like that at GhostBed as well that you can get your hands on and and we love it, and we love my bookie. We love Ghost Bed. Hey, look, I know the Christian audience doesn't like the betting. Uh, to bet is not a sin. Just like to drink alcohol, wine is not a sin. To be drunk is a sin. To lose yourself in gambling is a sin. We should be able to deal with some of these things with the proper morality and, and, and moderation. If you can't, if you're afraid to do so, you have to think about strengthening your faith. So, Special thank you to our sponsors. I want to say again, as housekeeping, look forward to the look out for the podcast uh, releasing um, some of the other podcasts that we have in mind releasing in the weeks to come. Uh, visit freepeopleradio.com to figure out everywhere that you can listen to or watch the podcast. Uh, we are available on Rumble. We are available on all the major audio platforms. And we look forward to you tuning in on Friday. And we also look forward to your viewership on Sunday for the Big Three. And we will see you on Friday. We will see you on Sunday. Or if not, I'll be back on Monday for another episode of Please Call Me Crazy. We appreciate your viewership today. And in the future, as always, the fight continues. Don't die a jerk off. Godspeed.